0: The text for this worship service this morning is from Jonah 3, which we have read together. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 43, to stances 3 and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, I do not have to tell you that we live in a wicked world. You can see that all around you. This world does not just constantly fall into sin, but lives in it and wallows in it. It actively promotes and condones sin. This can be seen from the way all kinds of immorality, such as homosexuality and promiscuity, is promoted by the government, by educators and secular institutions of learning, and by the media, in the papers, radio, and TV. They promote the murder of unborn babies and the murder of old and sick people who are put to death through euthanasia. Those who protest against such abominable practices are ostracized, ridiculed, and sometimes even prosecuted for their dissent. Society instead protects those with leftist causes, even if they try to accomplish their agenda through violent means and the breaking of the law. The sins of the nations constantly rise up to our holy and almighty God. God is terribly displeased with the sins of the nations. As it says in Psalm 7, verse 11, God is a righteous judge A God who expresses his wrath every day. That was also the case at the time of Jonah. The Lord was extremely angry with the sins of the people. The horrible things happening in that society were abhorrent to him. That is why the Lord commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach against it. He was to preach against the people of Nineveh so that they would repent from their sins. But that message was not only for the Ninevites, but also and especially for the people Israel. For God is especially angry with his own people. They live in luxury because he had given that to them. Their borders were secure. They had never been as prosperous as they were at that time in their history. And they also served the Lord, but they only pretended to serve him. They did so by outwardly doing all the right things, but in reality they were far from the true worship of the Lord their God. Farther than he had ever been in their history. And so, how do you bring a people, how do you bring a whole nation to repentance? How do you bring them on their knees before their creator? That's what this text of this morning deals with. It deals with repentance. Not only of the nations, but especially the repentance of God's own covenant people. And in order to bring that about, he uses a weak prophet such as Jonah, who himself had not really learned yet what repentance was all about. So let us listen listen to the preaching of God's word as summarized on the following theme. The Lord uses a reluctant Jonah to bring the Ninevites to repentance. We will see first of all Jonah's second chance, secondly Jonah's message, and then finally Nineveh's repentance. We have been looking at the prophet Jonah now for some time. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and to call the people of the wicked city to repentance. But Jonah flatly refused. Instead of going to Nineveh, he goes in exactly the opposite direction. He is deliberately disobedient. But the Lord God will not allow his plan to be thwarted by the likes of Jonah. And so what does he do? He sends a strong wind and has Jonah thrown overboard. The Lord appoints a big fish to swallow him up. And inside that fish, Jonah is miraculously kept alive and has him vomited forth on dry land within the vicinity of the city of Nineveh. And now we read in chapter 3 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, think about this. Isn't that amazing? The Lord comes to Jonah a second time. How is that possible? If it would have been up to me and to you, we would have said, forget about Jonah. He's a lost cause. He does not want to do what he is told to do. The man doesn't even know how to pray properly because he himself didn't really repent. Even inside the fish, he does not confess his guilt to the Lord God for his disobedience. Let's get somebody else. But God does not do that, does he? No, God spends a lot of time and investment in Jonah. He does not let go of him. That, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is a great comfort to you and to me, for that is how he treats all of us. He doesn't just turn your back on you, even when we deliberately sin against him. Do you know what that tells us about our Heavenly Father? It tells us that he is patient with us and that he is slow to anger. It tells us that God so deeply cares for his children that he gives us not just one chance to repent, but that he gives us a second chance. God remains faithful even though man is not Now that ought not to surprise us. For that's what we see throughout the history of redemption. Think about Abraham. Although Abraham was obedient to God when he tells him to pack his bags and to go elsewhere. He nevertheless was disobedient when he passed off his wife as his own sister. He was also disobedient after he had been given the promise of a son. For he wanted to help the Lord along a little by producing a son through Hagar through whom he expected the promise to be fulfilled. God did not reject Abraham. He gave him a second chance. And what about Abraham's grandson, Jacob? Jacob was a very ambitious man. He did everything in order to receive the rights of a firstborn son. He even went so far as to deceive his old father, Isaac, by pretending that he was Esau. But the Lord God does not reject him either. He gets a second chance. Out of Jacob, the whole nation of Israel is born. And what about in the New Testament? Peter, for example. Peter denied Lord the Lord Jesus Christ three times. But the Lord Jesus Christ nevertheless restores him. And on him and the rest of the apostles, the Lord God even builds his church. And what about the Apostle Paul as well? He was a persecutor of the early church. But the Lord God comes to him on the road to Damascus and he uses also that sinful man in his kingdom. The Lord is a faithful God. He uses sinful man in his service. And he uses these ordinary men. For don't think that Abraham or Jacob or the apostle Peter are any different from you or from me. Don't think that they are more special than you and I. They are sinful men just like the rest of us. They too had nothing whatsoever to offer God. Nevertheless, it was God's will to use these men in his kingdom. And God also wants to use you and me in one way or the other. And that is why he also comes to us and he gives us second chances. Can you remember any time in your life when you really messed up? Could be that at the time you were not even aware that you were doing something wrong. But then something happened that made you realise the seriousness of your actions. And then in a case like that, two things can happen. You can either do damage control and try to cover your tracks as best as as best as possible, and you can try to minimize your sin thereby confirming yourself in your sin, or you can throw yourself at the mercy of God. You then openly admit your mistake and you ask for forgiveness. Well you see, those were the kinds of men Abraham and Jacob and David and Peter and Paul were. God gave them a second chance and they listened. They repented from their sins. There may be some amongst us this morning who have steadfastly refused to listen to what the Lord God has to say to them. They have been under the preaching all their lives, and yet they harden themselves against the message of the gospel. Well, also the Lord comes to you again and again and again. And he doesn't leave you alone. For he wants to make an obedient servant out of you as well. And so, brothers and sisters, do not resist the Holy Spirit. The Lord gives you a second chance, but don't squander your chances. The time may come that He no longer comes to you. Listen to what God has to tell you. You know what God's Word says. You know what He wants from you, don't you? And that's what Jonah has to do as well. In verse 2 we read that the Lord says to Jonah, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. This is similar to the charge that the Lord gave him the first time. Except now the wickedness of Nineveh is no longer mentioned. But something else is added. He must proclaim to it the message that God will give him. In other words, Jonah is to be the mouthpiece of the Lord. He may only speak what God says to him. He cannot come with his own opinion or thoughts on things. He doesn't speak for himself, but he speaks for the Lord. That's the way it is for every prophet of the Lord. Also from this pulpit you may only hear what God says to his people. For a true prophet is nothing more than a messenger. He brings the message of the Lord to the people who want to listen. And he is the representative of the Lord. And when he speaks, he does not take it personally when that word of God is rejected. For he knows that if they reject his message, then they reject God's message. Indeed, God himself. And nor does he take it personally when people do listen. He doesn't take credit for himself. He gives honor And glory to God alone. For his message and also his calling is from above. And that is why a prophet also has to be a true believer. He must believe the message that he delivers. If you have a minister who is not a believer. Then the message that he brings will not come with conviction. And then the preacher condemns himself with the very message that he brings. Now that is something we can say in favor of Jonah. He believes the message that he has to deliver. That was never the problem in the first place. Jonah believed God right, right away as to the message he was to deliver. He knew that God could do what he said he would do. He could indeed destroy the city and all the people in it. And the Lord can also bring about repentance. But that's where the shoe pinched in the first place. Jonah did not want the people to believe. He did not want God to spare the city. Oh yes, Jonah believed all right. And he believed all the more after he had seen the miracles God performed concerning his own rescue from the belly of the fish. He knew about the power of God. But he thought that God's power should apply only to the Israelites. However, a true messenger of the Lord preaches the word indiscriminately. He preaches the word to whomever will listen. God's word is for all kinds of people no matter what the color of their skin is or what nation or people they come from. That's something Jonah had to learn. And the Lord says to him, you may not care about the people of Nineveh, but I do. I care about every single soul here on earth. We come to the second point, namely the message. And so finally, Jonah does what he should have done in the first place. He goes throughout the whole city. He goes from one end to the other. And he speaks with great conviction. No one doubts that he does not believe the words he is speaking. And what is that message? Well, he delivers a very short sermon. He says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. It is simple. It is direct. Everyone can understand it. And that is the way every sermon should be. A sermon should never be a learned discourse. For the Lord comes to us in a language that we can all understand. And no preacher ought to be wiser than the Lord and bring a message which only a few can follow. No, the preaching is for everybody. It has to be direct. It has to be succinct. It has to be understandable. But there is a problem with the message that Jonah brings. Can you tell what that is? Well, I'll tell you. The problem is that in his message there is no comfort, there is no hope in this message in the way that Jonah delivers it. You get the feeling that Jonah is really enjoying himself here. He enjoys coming with his message of doom. If you look ahead a little and look at chapter 4, then you'll know that Jonah is actually not pleased at all. As a matter of fact, he is outright angry when he sees that God does not destroy the city. For that's exactly what Jonah wants. He wants the Ninevites wiped off the face of the earth. And that, that is why he enjoys coming with that message of doom. His preaching is the preaching of judgment and condemnation. He preaches hell and damnation. In Romans 10 verse 15 it says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Well that cannot be said of Jonah. He does not come with the gospel of grace and peace. Jonah does not hold out any hope. He treats the people with contempt. He delivers the message of God all right. But he does so without understanding the mercy of God. He does so without giving any inkling of the love of God. Do you know why that is? It is because Jonah does not grasp his own sinfulness. Remember, that was also the problem with his prayer. He did not come with a confession of sin. Jonah concentrated only on the promise of the covenant and not the demand. He thought that he had it made. He belonged to God's people. He is even a prophet among them. But one thing that he never yet fully grasped is that he obtained his position through grace alone. And that he had nothing himself to do with his privileged position. Jonah lacked humility. He believed that he deserves what he got and that the Ninevites deserve nothing. Yet, amazingly enough, the Lord uses that prophet and that message to bring about repentance. We come to the third point. In spite of Jonah's message of doom and gloom, the Ninevites nevertheless repent, and the Lord stays his judgment. Why is that so amazing? Well, any preacher who only comes with a message of doom and gloom will only bring the people to a depressed state of mind. For they will see their cause as hopeless. And they certainly will not be motivated to live a life of thankfulness. Thankfulness for what? For as far as they are concerned, there is nothing to be thankful for. We are doomed anyway. Calvin puts it in this way, he says, There can be no faith without an acquaintance with the paternal kindness of God. Whosoever regards God as angry with him must necessarily despair. When the people heard the message of Jonah, they certainly must have despaired. Indeed, that's also what the text tells us they did. They put on sackcloth and ashes to show that. And yet, Jonah was effective, very effective. How come? For we would not expect that. Well, look at the way that the Lord God prepared Jonah for his task. He performed a miracle, first of all. Jonah had experienced in the flesh that God could do anything he wanted. Jonah was also convinced that God was totally justified in his sentence. Jonah believed the scriptures that all sin is sin against God and that God is right in punishing sin. Jonah is a believer in that sense. He does not doubt his own cause and the message he is to bring. And so Jonah spoke with authority. Don't think that the people didn't notice that. They certainly did. Another reason why Jonah's message bore fruit was because of the way that the Lord God made mankind. Paul tells us in the letter to the Romans in the first chapter that there is implanted in every heart the knowledge of God. Every man knows intuitively that there is a God out there. And if there is a God out there, then there is a God out there who also deals with our sins. And so they repented, all right, not so much because they saw God who loved them, but because they wanted to save their own skins. But not only that, within that message of doom, there was also a glimmer of hope, even though Jonah did not allow that to shine through. For the people knew that if they did repent, the execution of God's judgment would not take place. And therefore the message which Jonah delivers, in accordance with God's commands, also obtains a glimmer of hope. The gospel does shine through. For why else would God speak these words? except to give them another chance. Why else would he give it, except that he does not really want to destroy them? Why else does he give it, except that he so exceedingly loves his creation? That's why he also gave his only beloved son. And that is the sign that he gives to each generation. The Lord Jesus himself stated in Luke 11 verse 32. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. Indeed brothers and sisters Christ is much greater than Jonah. For Christ came with the full gospel of salvation. Indeed Christ is the whole content of the gospel. But nevertheless, he places Jonah's preaching besides his own. For he knows that even an incomplete message can and does bring about repentance. And so the Ninevites repent from their evil. It says in the text that they believed God. That's a marvelous statement. It is most unexpected that they do believe and no doubt the Lord had prepared them already for a long time for the favorable reception of his message. The people were ripe for repentance. and They were sick and tired of their own sinful lifestyle. They were sick and tired of the emptiness in their lives. It happens that people do come to such a point in their life. And then the true believers had better be there to come with them with the message of God. To fill that void. The people of Nineveh believed God. To believe God, brothers and sisters, is only possible if you are fully convinced of your own sins. But not only must you confess that with your lips, it must also be evident from the way you conduct yourself. It is not enough either just to speak about the wrath and anger of God. You must realize that God is angry with you personally. Because of your sins. The people of Nineveh not only confessed their sinfulness. They also showed it. And they put on sackcloth and ashes. In other words they got out their hairy black mantles. and Got some suit. And liberally applied it to their whole bodies. And that was the Old Testament way of showing that you are in mourning. And why were they in mourning? They were in mourning because of their sins. And that's what it means when the text says that they believed God. Let me ask you, do you believe God? Oh, I know you confess it with your lips. You have done it many times over and over again. We all do. We pray for the forgiveness of sins. But what I mean is, does that also show in your life? Are you truly repented? It is noteworthy that the move to repentance comes from the people to the top. The word to repent comes from the people to the leaders of the land. The leaders respond to the people of the city. And then an amazing decree is published by the leaders of Nineveh. And this is the decree, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Note well that they were not even allowed to drink water. That must have been quite something, especially for the alcoholics among them. Whereas before they couldn't do without their bottle. Now they were not even allowed to drink water. I'm sure that not everyone heeded these words. The text does not tell us. But I'm sure that there were enough of the people who turned away from their sinful lifestyles. And that they embraced God. For that is what repentance is all about. It is a changing of mind. A changing of heart. And a changing of one's emotions. No longer did they set their minds on sin, but they set their minds on God. They made a complete turnabout. What is repentance? Well, let me give you an illustration of that from the world of business. For that's what a company does that wants to avoid bankruptcy. When a company realizes that it is not heading in the right direction, then it has to make a commitment to restructure. Restructuring involves reviewing your strategy, it involves a redeployment of resources, it often produces a smaller workforce, new priorities for spending, and a sharing of power in the company organizational chart. It requires a clarification of goals and a relentless devotion to attaining the right goals." It expresses a willingness to change any needed activities to reach those goals. Well, restructuring a company resembles personal repentance. Repentance demands restructuring your life. Restructuring your life around what the Lord Jesus Christ wants from you. However, this is not a popular understanding of repentance. For some people, for most people, repentance means to feel sad about your sin. They think that it means to weep, to express sorrow, and to feel glum about the past. But brothers and sisters, that's only the beginning. For the real test does not come from measuring our tears, but from changing our lives. People who repent do not merely cry over their sins, they change their lives by God's grace. They do not continue to go over the same failures time and again, they put those failures behind them. And they get on with the task of living in obedience to God. True repentance involves three things. It first involves a commitment to live as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The biblical word for repent demands a change of mind about God, about yourself, and about sin. When you truly repent, then you see God for who he is, full of compassion and mercy, but also full of anger if you deliberately go on sinning against him. And you see yourself for the miserable sinner that you are. All pretense is gone and you are humble. And you see sin as a barrier between God and you. You want your sin to be removed totally. People who truly repent will tap into God's power to do what their own willpower could never accomplish. And secondly, repentance involves our relationship to other people and to society as a whole. Especially those dear and near to us, our loved ones, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, but also to everyone else, our relationship changes. If we repent, we will not merely withdraw into self-centered personal agendas, but we will work for bringing divine mercy and justice into our lives, into society as a whole. And finally, we will also be concerned to see that no one misses the grace of God. That's what repentance is about. But what about divine repentance? The NIV says in verse 10 that God had compassion and did not bring destruction. Other translations state that God repented of the evil which he has said he would do to them. How can we speak about God repenting? Does that mean that he made a mistake about proclaiming his judgment over Nineveh? Of course not. God doesn't make mistakes. And he doesn't change his mind either. As it says in 1 Samuel 15 verse 29, God is not a man that he should repent or change his mind. But what is the case here? He said, if you reject my message, you will be destroyed. But if you listen to me, that will not happen. That is his unchanging word. That message is just as true then as it is now. And what do the people do? They repent and therefore God does not execute his judgment. It looks as if he has changed his mind but in reality man did. The Lord God is always true to his word. How genuine do you think the repentance was of Nineveh? Some people say that their repentance was not complete, that it was superficial and temporary. And they point out that in the end, Nineveh was destroyed anyway. And that's true. Nineveh, in the end, was destroyed. But that happened 150 years later. Nineveh was allowed to exist for another century and a half. That is quite different from Israel, the ten northern tribes. Israel was sent into exile 50 years after this prophecy. Israel did not repent. The Lord was more pleased with Nineveh than with his own nation. And he gives this prophecy as a last call to bring Israel to repentance and to use Nineveh and the Assyrians as an example. Was the Ninevites' repentance real? Well, remember what the Lord said in Luke 11 verse 32. The men of Nineveh will stand up at a judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Only the believers will sit in judgment over the wicked. The people of Nineveh who repented belong to them. Do you belong to them? In other words, are you listening to God's call for repentance? If God's love does not motivate you, then perhaps his wrath will. Remember, there is no second chance in hell. And God is coming again a second time on the day of judgment. One greater than Jonah is here, he says. And so, what do you do? With that word that is preached to you. Also the word that is preached to you again this morning. Let not the people of Nineveh put you or me to shame. And condemn us at the day of judgment. Are you listening to the continued call to repentance? This call to repentance brothers and sisters, boys and girls. Is an act of love. See it that way. God does not want his children to go astray and to follow their own ways. He wants you to be with him in heaven. It's for that reason that he warned Israel and that he warns us. Listen to him and live. Live into eternity. Amen.